our brains just don't want us to do the unknown or uncomfortable. And so I think it's like a survival mechanism probably in our minds. Um, just stay home watching Netflix. It's comfortable, predictable, like we know what's going to happen. Whereas if you're going to go head out on a trip, I mean, there is always unknowns, but it's also could be an unknown, crazy, great experience as well. That was Allison Boyle from the popular backpacking website, She Dreams of Alpine. And this is the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. I'm your host, Mary. And today, Abby and I catch up with Allison to talk about coaching beginner backpackers through their very first trip. Whether you're someone looking to break through the beginner backpacking experience yourself, or maybe you have friends or family you want to introduce to backpacking, you'll want to hear what Allison has to say today. She gives her best tips for conquering those first-time fears and discusses how common it is to have pre-trip jitters. I know I still get the pre-trip jitters. I subconsciously start looking for reasons not to go, whether it's work, the weather, or maybe I'm just not feeling it. Allison talks about how you need to resist the urge to give up on plans and just get out there. But first, wildfire season is in full swing in the West, but you don't have to let your weekend plans go up in smoke. You can use Gaia GPS's new smoke forecast layers to get a picture of how smoky it's going to be, check the current smoke conditions, get the 24-hour smoke forecast and the 48-hour forecast to see the predicted trends for any area in the United States, pair those with wildfire and air quality maps to get the complete picture, and of course, all these wildfire-related maps are available for free on Gaia GPS. And if you want to add more maps, like the National Parks Visitor Maps, the U.S. Forest Service Recreation Maps, USGS Quads for the entire United States, Worldwide Topo Maps, National Geographic Maps, and download all these maps for offline use anywhere in the world, sign up for a premium membership. And podcast listeners get a sweet 20% discount, GuyGPS.com slash podcast to get a premium membership for only $32. I know I use this on all my trip planning and navigating. It's got everything I need for anywhere I want to go. And now let's get back to Allison. She dreams of Alpine. Welcome on the podcast, Allison. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Mary. My name is Allison. I am the founder of She Dreams of Alpine, which is an outdoor adventure website. I'm also a coach and a backpacking educator. So I teach women how to essentially become safe, confident, and self-sufficient outdoor backpackers through a program called Become an Outdoor Backpacking Badass so that they can go on to create the adventures and life um, and freedom that they were always dreaming of creating, no matter where they're starting from or what their background is. That's kind of what I do now. And yeah, before that, I guess I was not a backpacker when I grew up. I kind of grew into this um, as an adult. So that's a little bit about me. Explain to us how someone who didn't grow up backpacking is now teaching women how to backpack. How did you get into this? So I'm from Texas originally, and I pretty much didn't have an outdoorsy bone in my body. I didn't like bugs or, you know, all the things peeing outdoors or anything like that. But um, I think like the most I'd ever done is maybe camped in my backyard as a kid. But, you know, you can always like run inside and get back into the air conditioning. So I think it wasn't like 
until college that I first kind of got my taste of the outdoors. I had an internship in Colorado and you can't help but be kind of immersed in the outdoors when you go and live in Colorado. And I think I remember that summer just being like, okay, Allison, like work up the courage, sign up for something new. And I decided to sign up for outdoor rock climbing and go guided. And I thought of it like you would think about skydiving, kind of this one-off thing that you do and never do again. It was this crazy adventure that only people do kind of once and only crazy people do it like continuously. And I remember on that trip having the best, most amazing experience. It was in Red Rocks in Colorado Springs. And I remember bugging my guide a whole bunch and being like, oh my gosh, you do this normally. How do you, how does the rope get up there? How, who put up the bolts? I had all these questions. Um, and that was kind of my first like, wow, like I kind of like this. I liked how I felt, but I went back to Texas and kind of didn't get back into it. I was a pretty shy person in college, but I think for me, that little spark from Colorado inspired me to move to California for an engineering job. And um, instead of maybe staying in Texas or going to Louisiana or someplace where I could have gone as well. And so I went to California and I was also kind of going through um, maybe like a rough patch in my life, my personal life. I had also been married at 19 when I was younger. And when I graduated college, I ended up getting divorced. And so I was kind of in this like weird period where I was trying to figure out who I was, what I wanted, where I wanted to go. And I like entered into a year of yes is kind of how I would describe it, where I was like, I just want to do things out of my comfort zone. I'm tired of always like playing it safe. And I want to see what I'm made of and like who I could be um, instead of just letting my past dictate who I was going to be. And so that year in work, I remember sitting like around the water cooler and hearing some of my coworkers talk about this place called Half Dome. And yes, at the time I was like, what is Half Dome? What is this place? Which is really funny to think about now because it's this very iconic place to me and it means a lot to me now. And they were talking about it and I was more intrigued and they were like, we have an extra permit if you want to go. I was scared to death. I didn't know anything, but I was like, I'm going to just say yes to this and figure it out. I didn't own any gear. I'd never been backpacking before. I knew none of the things. Um, but fortunately, the group I went with knew enough to get me like some borrowed gear and scrap it together. And I think my pack for that trip was like 40, 45 pounds or something ridiculous. But um, that trip was like the turning point for me and kind of what launched me into becoming obsessed with all things outdoors. It was probably like the hardest, most grueling, painful thing I'd ever done in my life, but also most amazing. And um, I just remember being like, holy crap, I did that and loved that feeling and loved even the discomfort of it and kind of making it through to the other side. And so from then, I don't think I knew it then, but that was like a pivotal moment in my life where I just 
tried as much as possible to get outside every weekend and kind of launched me in that direction. So that was like the starting point. And then I got obsessed and I started getting into mountaineering and about backpacking and more rock climbing and canyoneering, like anything and all things. Okay. So you go on this, your first trip. Do you remember thinking back, what were your biggest fears going into it? If any, I think for me, um, I didn't know really enough about backpacking to have a lot of the common fears. I think people who know a little bit about it, my biggest fear was a more internal one. I thought these people had invited me on this trip and I was going to let them down somehow because I was going to be the slowest one or like the weakest link. Um, they were going to regret inviting me. Um, I had all of these kind of like social uh, fears around it the most. And then obviously I had fears around like some of the typical things like, what do you do with bears? I don't want to get lost, but I was in a group. So I kind of was like leaning on some of their expertise there. I guess it goes back to like a worthiness, like, am I really capable of doing something like this? Or are people just going to regret even inviting me in the first place? So mm. that was, that was my fear and it wasn't my experience. So yeah. Yeah. So you feel like your fears were absolved right on that first trip or did it also take some work after that? Yeah, totally. So like I said, I was kind of naive going into it. You know, it was my very first trip. I didn't know that much about backpacking. I didn't know all of the things I maybe should be worried about. Um, you don't know kind of what you don't know. And I went into that trip kind of more with the social fears. And then after the trip, it was like amazing. Everyone was super supportive, very encouraging, had a really great group and a great experience. And then I think when I got back is when I started thinking through some of those other aspects. I was like, wow, like I want to do more of this, but wait, like I didn't actually do any of the prep work to understand like how to keep myself safe if I were to do this on my own or if I had gotten separated from my group. Like I definitely wasn't self-sufficient in any kind of capacity. I didn't know anything about our trail. I was just following people. If I had gotten separated from them, I for sure would have gotten lost probably. I mean, maybe not, but I didn't have a GPS or didn't know how to use a compass or a map. I hadn't done any of the pre-work, you know, and I didn't really know what to do with animal encounters and things like that, or if we had gotten into bad weather situations. So I think it was really after that trip, I started digesting that. And I was thinking about if I want to do more of this, I really need to learn how to be self-sufficient, which is kind of like what we talk about with our students. It's really great to go in groups, but you should always get to the point where you're having your own back as well, because in the outdoors, you're never guaranteed this smooth experience. Um, you know, that's just part of the game and part of the deal. Something I hear often from the guests on this podcast is that they got addicted to the learning curve in a sport. Did you go on this particular trip? And even with climbing, your first climbing trip in Colorado, did you get addicted to the idea of learning that, that sport and mastering it? Yeah, totally. I think for me at first, I just, it was from like a safety perspective. I became like obsessed with 
my biggest fear was probably getting lost. That's the first one I wanted to solve. So I became obsessed with like learning how to use my GPS. That was the first big investment I made in myself was, um, I think it was the Garmin 64 ST. I bought it and, you know, I love Garmin products, but sometimes they're not the most user-friendly to figure out. So I spent like hours trying to figure out how to create, you know, base camp maps and download them into my GPS and then like learning to navigate and all of those things. And then when I got that, I felt just so cool because I would go with these other friends that had been backpacking more than me, but they never had GPS files. And I was like, it's okay, you guys, I've got this, like I've got the maps and I've got it all figured out. So I was definitely, I definitely nerded out on that a lot. And then same with the climbing, like I love climbing. It's probably my second love. Um, so I kind of got obsessed with all of those things. I just find every little new thing you learn and do in the outdoors is just super fascinating, interesting, makes you like a better all around outdoor person. So when you look back, you know, on that time going to Colorado and, and joining that climbing group, were you at all intimidated so that's always a funny one too, right? So I think when I first went and signed up for that climbing guide trip, I didn't really know the world, the outdoor world. I don't think I was thinking a lot about the intimidation of it. I was just more, it was more novelty and going on that guided trip, you know, I was just expecting the guide to kind of take us out there and like somehow take us up rocks, which I didn't understand at all. Um, I think as I got more into it is actually when I probably got more intimidated by it as I got more interested in doing climbing more often um, or getting into backpacking. It kind of felt like you were sort of on the outside of this elite club of people that already had it figured out, especially if they had grown up doing it. So you would ask questions and people were like, why are you asking that question? That's ridiculous. You know, maybe not so mean, but you kind of just felt like you, I don't know, should have known that stuff. So it holds you back a little bit from being really vulnerable, asking these questions that you're worried about are too simple or everyone has already figured out. So I definitely feel I felt that way. And I would say that I love Colorado, but I definitely feel like that escalates in a place like Colorado because everyone there is super outdoorsy. Like you walk down the street and there are like trail runners everywhere and people riding their bikes. And when you don't Abby. grow up in the outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ab Abby lives in Boulder. So we're pointing yes, our fingers Boulder. at you, Abby. And she's a trail <laughs> runner. <laughs> Very, it, 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 it's great. It's I love true. it. But the more you're surrounded by people really into something, the more you realize what you don't know. And yes. I totally agree that almost the intimidation factor escalates the more immersed yeah. you get. And I think when you're a newbie too, you're also kind of looking at your outdoor mentors or the people that you look up to and you're seeing what kind of things they talk about. And a lot of times, and there's nothing wrong with either way, but a lot of times people who have been in in a while their goals are like bigger, faster, longer, crazy, hardcore goals. Whereas when you're just starting out, you're just trying to keep it together and not feel scared and maybe do a one night trip. And it's kind of feels weird to talk about because it's not as grand, I guess, as some other people's goals. So there is definitely intimidation, but you just have to remind yourself they've been doing it for 
10, 20 years, and you're just getting started and everyone starts at the beginning with this stuff. So I'm just wondering how these early experiences you had climbing and this backpacking trip to Half Dome and all of that, I wonder how those play into what you do now in, in teaching women how to backpack. I think after that first backpacking trip, I kind of entered into this obsessive, I spend every weekend in the outdoors kind of thing, um, backpacking. And then I said, it got kind of into mountaineering in a, a weird way. I had a coworker who had a brother-in-law who lived in Utah, who did take people on these trips. Um, and he ended up being kind of my mentor into mountaineering and took me on and that escalated a lot of what I was learning at the time to like the next level. I got to learn a lot more about safety in the mountains um, from those experiences. And I was with him for like three years. I would drive 10 hours. It would be like a Friday night. I'd drive, you know, five to 10 hours um, to Utah and go have those experiences with him. And then eventually, you know, I met my now husband um, at the climbing gym and he kind of became my go-to adventure partner. And then we just kind of picked that pace up still and just did more climbing and backpacking yeah. on the weekends. Eventually, like leading into creating this um, blog, the She Dreams Alpine blog and our program that become an outdoor backpacking badass, that was more um, inspired by Michael and I were we were ironically hiking the Trans Catalina Trail in California or backpacking it. And we were sitting here thinking to ourselves, as many of us outdoorsy people do, how can I do more of this? How can I spend more of my time outdoors, less of my time in a cubicle? Because up to that point, we had been like avid weekend warriors, you know, work all week and then go play in the mountains on the weekend. Um, and that just kind of got my wheels turning. And I started thinking about saving up for a year off to travel. And we knew that would probably take us a year and a half, but always kind of like following my curiosity. So as I was following that curiosity to take a year off to travel and do van life or something like that, I also started thinking about what if I could um, start, I had already written, started She Dreams of Alpine when I first got into the outdoors to kind of like talk about my trips I was going on. And I was like, how could I turn She Dreams of Alpine into this helpful resources for backpackers and hikers? And so I started pursuing that. And then we hit the road in 2019. And around the same time, I also launched the Backpacking Badass program because I was thinking, the blog is great, but what's another way that I can help people that were like me who maybe didn't grow up in the outdoors and didn't have connection to the mentors or the community to get started, but have that kind of like inkling of a desire to do this kind of thing, get into the outdoors and, but feel safe and self-sufficient when they go do it. Because a lot of the people that end up entering our world, they don't have friends or family that are into this kind of thing, the friends and family they do have think they're a little bit crazy for having this dream. And so they kind of know they're going to have to go solo, uh, at least starting out until they can find those adventure friends and partners. It sounds like you had great mentors when you were yes. learning these sports. And in a way, you're just kind of like a virtual mentor to these people who want to get started in the outdoors. Is that a good way to explain your um, blog and your website? 
Yeah, it's it's like a combination. So the website is really we put a lot of free, like helpful resources around a variety of topics in the outdoors, hiking, backpacking. If I go on a trail, I'll write like an in-depth trail guide for some things like that. If somebody wants to go and do the Trans-Catalina Trail and or do the John Muir Trail or something like that, we'll have resources like that on the blog. And then the Backpacking Badass program is a course that really walks you through A to Z of everything you would need to know with backpacking from that initial phase of like setting a goal to training for that specific goal and getting the gear you need and why you want certain gear and why some things don't matter. Cause I find that's really overwhelming to research on the web because everyone has their own opinions and like usually lists way more gear than you need. Um, and then we talk them through all the different safety concepts as well. Like your typical things like outdoor navigation, which we have a whole module dedicated to Gaia because that's actually one of my favorite tools to teach people to use when they're first getting started because it's so user-friendly, um, really easy to pick up, and you don't have to drop $300 to start practicing your outdoor navigation and those skill sets. And then, you know, weather safety analysis and like leave no trace practices and all of those things. And then trip plans and creating trip plans and safety plans. So that's like the A to Z of things. And then they have mentorship and community and coaching because we have a Facebook community where we do like online um, coaching two times a month. And then they can always pop into the group and ask other women who've been through the program, like questions, personal questions. And now it's such a great, big, supportive community. Um, yeah, that they have a huge resource of people to support them through this journey. Yeah. I, I'm curious, uh, what was your reason for focusing specifically on women? I just like, for me, it felt like when I got started, all of my mentors were men and um, that was main, the main person I would backpack with. It was the main person that would be willing to teach me something, but they didn't have always the same kind of fears or concerns or like mindset blocks that I had. And so that was always a big barrier. You know, I just think sometimes the energy, it's not to say like, men are bad or women are good, but I just think sometimes the energy and the process to learning is a little bit different. And maybe you need like a more, you just, it's just helpful to have those women mentors. And I really didn't. Um, and I just thought it would be great to kind of provide that to other women who have those fears. Because if you think about me from Texas, I was very scared of doing a lot of things. And I find that a lot of the women that join our program, they kind of have some of those same fears and even those just kind of self-doubt fears. And if you can just have somebody who's more like you tell you like, yeah, you can do this, you're able to put yourself in their shoes and be like, okay, like she did it, I can do it. It's much different um, than seeing, I don't know, like a very fit dude from Colorado say, yeah, you can do it. I just find that space to be a little bit different. Um, and that that's why we focus on, on women is helping them through those kind of more mindset challenges, I guess. I feel like that this is a good transition into, could you walk us through maybe the three biggest fears that your clients face and that maybe you also faced and then 
how to overcome them. Our clients have a lot of the same fears, like getting lost is a very big one. Nobody wants to get lost. A lot of people identify with being like directionally challenged. So we show them that it's actually not so complicated. Um, Outdoor navigation is not so overwhelming. Like there's simple ways to learn it and like use it so that you can feel confident when you step on the trail. Um, Also encounters with wildlife or crazy people are big fears. You know, a lot of people, I think this is definitely hyped up because of media. You know, the things that you, if you're new to backpacking and your only experiences with backpacking are what you've heard from the news or like watching wild, those are very big spectrums of the experience of backpacking. You know, one is this woman who didn't know anything goes on the trail and just goes for it. And then this other is like, these bad experiences of hikers getting lost or something bad happening to them. So it's like this very wide range of potential things that could happen. And then maybe you can't identify with somebody like Cheryl Strayed because you feel too afraid to just go for it without knowing anything. You want to feel more prepared. I think the important thing to remember for a lot of those things, it's is it's easy to learn how to manage a lot of those fears, like the fear of getting lost, um, weather danger, like you learn a lot of those things. And once you learn them, you are able to make smart choices and you have the knowledge to kind of like pivot or decide not to go. You feel more empowered once you have that knowledge. And then with the other stuff is you see more women having amazing experiences and it helps for you to feel like, okay, this is a common thing. And this is most likely going to be my experience versus what you hear on the media. Um, Because I think ultimately it comes down to we're scared of what we don't know as much. Where things that we do in our everyday life, like drive our car or, you know, walk down a busy street in the city by ourselves as women are equally or more dangerous than anything we would do in the outdoors. It's just they're more familiar to us. And we're able to step into those scenarios more. And where if you're a new backpacker, you can't imagine yourself in the outdoors at all, hardly, just based on what you've seen or heard about. So once you start building those more experiences for yourself, you can, those fears start to go away. Um, I definitely think that for new backpackers in particular, Making it to the trailhead is probably the hardest part about backpacking um, because there's mind drama and like lots of self-doubt that comes up to it. You have a lot of family drama, particularly if you want to go solo. A lot of people are going to tell you that's silly, ridiculous, a bad idea, dangerous. They'll have lots of ideas for you that just make you even more fearful. Um And then there's this thing we talk about in our program called pre-trip resistance, where, and this happens to me even on any new trip that's a little bit outside of my comfort zone. It's like the week before your trip, you have been excited about it until you get to the week before. And then you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm, I don't want to go. I'm too busy. Work is bad. Like kids don't want me to go or maybe I'm not that stoked about it. You come up with all these reasons why you shouldn't do it. Oh my gosh, this happens to me all the time. Yeah. Like yes. every, every, every trip. Every, yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is a great idea when I, you know, reserve my permit on rec.gov and then the week is coming up and I'm like, no, I don't, this is a really bad idea. And I just start 
making all these excuses why I should not go. So that you're telling me that's a common thing? Yeah, it's something that happens to every single one of us. And I think that's important to talk about because I think newbies get this pre-trip resistance and they're like, well, this is a sign that I shouldn't do it. And if you really feel like you've done the work, you've been training, you have practiced those skill sets, you have your gear, you just have to kind of like lean into that resistance and just do it anyways. And then once you make it to the trailhead, I don't know, you open up. It's just hard sometimes. I don't know what it is, but our brains just don't want us to do the unknown or uncomfortable. And so I think it's like a survival mechanism probably in our minds. Um, just stay home, watch the Netflix. It's comfortable, predictable. We know what's going to happen. Whereas if you're going to go head out on a trip, I mean, there is always unknowns, but it's also could be an unknown, crazy, great experience as well. So I wonder if, if also part of it is all of the energy that goes into actually organizing your stuff to go. Like, I hate that part of it. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that plays into my head where I'm like trying to pack all my stuff and think about what I need. And I'm like, Oh, I hate this part of it. Like maybe I shouldn't go. This is overwhelming. Yeah, totally. I've been feeling that way recently because last year we did uh, the John Muir trail, but we got kicked off about halfway due to the wildfires and it kind of shut down all the national forests there in California So we're going to finish it off this year and hop back on at Bishop Pass. But we are packing this week and next week we have, um, or we start, but I've been feeling the same because packing for it, you know, there's so many things. And then with a 12 day trip, we're making all of our meals and it's just this whole process. And then all these work things I need to get done. And you just start feeling like, I don't know why I wanted to do this. This is overwhelming. I have so much on my plate. But then I know just from experience, the moment I step onto the trail, I'm going to feel this weight lift off. And it's why I do it and why you push through that resistance. It's always great. And then when you come home, (laughs) you're always glad you did it. But there's just something about actually getting off the couch and doing it. Yes. Yeah. And even if it's not great, you always come away with something Or I find like every trip into the mountains, you're either learning something or you had some sort of great experience. But um, even if it was very hard or very challenging, when you make it to the end of that, you still usually feel really proud that you went out there and went for it um, and had that experience and got to, I don't know, add it to your repertoire of experiences and see what you were made of and what you're capable of. So Allison, how long are your courses this badass course that teaches you the confidence to go out and do it. How long does it take so that people can know to prepare in advance how much time to set aside? Yeah, most people, um, they can do it as fast as probably a month, three weeks or a month and go through the program. I mean, you could probably do it faster if you wanted to. But really, if you're starting from the beginning, you're trying to apply all the different things, it probably take up to a month to practice some of the skill sets that you're learning feel confident in some of the things before you want to go on a trip. But it also just sort of depends on, you know, when somebody starts our program, we ask them to try to pick a goal to anchor it to and not just like they're learning a skill and not having like some goal to apply it to in the future. So the first step is picking a goal. If they have to get permits then getting the permits for it and like putting it on the calendar. And that's the thing you're thinking about and working towards. And so you could spread out 
your training over that time if you want to take it as well. So people have lifetime access to the program once they join. And so they can kind of come back and take their time as they go through it and make their way towards that goal trip that they have. Because really, like, I feel once they make it to that goal trip and they go on it, that's the first big step. And then you've kind of shown yourself, I can do this. And then it gets you excited to plan more trips versus overwhelming yourself with too many, too many things at once. Who are you finding signing up for your courses? Yeah, typically, I mean, we have women of all ages and backgrounds, but um, a lot of the people that join our programs are new to backpacking or they've always been like a participant, um, maybe like a follower of a stronger partner, whoever that is in their life. And they're starting to realize they would like to take more ownership in the process, maybe be able to plan their own trips, um, maybe even go solo backpacking because they've always felt like they've relied on somebody else to kind of be that planner and, um, you know, safety person and they want to start taking ownership of that. So those are kind of the, the two main groups, but we have women uh, of all ages. It tends to be more in the thirties to sixties range even. Um, so we have a really great older group of ladies too, that are joining our programs and starting this later in life, which is super fun. Um, a lot of people, maybe they spent more of their, the beginning of their life focusing on their kids and their families. And they're really ready to do something for them. And backpacking has always been something that's interested them, but they hadn't gotten started with. That seems to make sense. Kind of like you, you know, maybe the first part of your life, you weren't exposed to the outdoors. And then as you get older, you get a, get a whiff of what other people are doing and get exposed to, you know, backpacking or climbing or whatever people later in life trying to catch up in those areas. Yeah. So do you have any tips for people who They know they want to get into backpacking, but they have no idea how to set a goal for a first trip. I mean, it just depends on the person, right? And what their background is. So we have some parameters that we teach our students when they're getting started on like maybe a good baseline, but again, take it with a grain of salt. Like, um, for example, and this is all nuanced because every trail is a little nuanced. You know, some trails have a lot of elevation gain, but maybe aren't as long or, um, you know, are more technical. So you kind of have to teach people how to assess a trail and then kind of like pick something that's good for them. But I, I always typically recommend maybe your first trip be around that seven, seven mileage range a day, um, at least until you're getting to know your body a little bit more, especially with a pack weight on, because it's a lot different than day hiking, um, carrying a lot more weight on your back. And then Then if it has a lot of elevation gain, maybe paring it down from there. But even me, like I tend to not do more than 12 to 15 mile days for most backpacking trips, just because I find it's more of an enjoyment level for myself. And then when you go beyond kind of that 15 miles per day range, it starts to be a little bit more into the suffer fest and less like you've been really dedicated to your training and like working towards that goal. Um, So we usually advise like around the seven mileage range and trying to keep your elevation gain. I don't know if you can, which you can always, um, between like one and 2000 feet per day. Um, but again, it just really varies on the trail. 
And if you're very new to backpacking, you don't know a lot about your body, you don't even know if you could hike a few miles, make that goal smaller. Don't be afraid to start out with smaller mini experiences. You don't have to go big or go home with your first trip. You can always just say, I just want to see how I do overnight, you know, especially if they're going solo, which a lot of our students end up doing their first trip is a solo trip, which is always crazy. Like to me, I'm like, wow, go get it, you know? And then, but they'll do it. I'll be like, don't be afraid to build up to that experience, build in some mini experiences, like go on a solo road trip, go on a solo car camping trip, go on solo day hikes, you know, have your first solo backpacking trip be two miles to a campsite and spend the night over overnight by yourself and then hike back. You know, you don't have to have a five day epic for it to count as like your first backpacking trip or something. So it really depends on the individual. <laughs> I like how you're kind of dismantling this almost self-judgment of I need to accomplish X on my first trip for it to count. You know, like there is no right or wrong way to do something and you can ease your way into, into this world and it all is valid. Yep, exactly. I mean, really somebody who's really just getting started could apply these same principles to like day hiking, you know, if they want to start at that very basic level of just going out and tackling a day hike. Cause I know people that, you know, even have trouble getting motivated to do that because they feel like they don't even know where to start on that basic level. Yeah, totally. And not judging yourself for it and not comparing yourself to other people. It's really important in the beginning not to compare your journey to other people's journey um, because we're all very individual and like we all have different sets of fears and anxieties that kind of play into our learning journey and our experience. So when you always think about it, the reason you wanted to go backpacking is for this feeling that you had for yourself. And so you really shouldn't base it on as long as you're feeling good in the process and you're achieving some of these goals and making your way towards whatever that bigger goal is, that's all that matters. That's very cool. Allison, what is your philosophy on gear? Are you kind of subscribing and teaching the full on ultralight backpacking where you're just cutting items that you wouldn't need? Or are you kind of tossing some luxury items in that list as well? Yeah, we talk about ultralight as like a special class if you want to learn about optimizing your pack weight and getting it lower. But I kind of feel it's the ultralight world isn't as accessible when you're starting out. Um, A lot of times when you're starting out, you are getting a little bit scrappy. Um, Maybe you're borrowing gear from people, you, you know, buy one big item, but then you're renting some other pieces. And so you might not have like that perfect setup starting out. So I just kind of talk to them about what are some of the key pieces you need? What are the essential like safety items you need? For example, I always think it's super smart to have, and I learned this from rock climbing, to have redundancy in some of your most essential safety items. So for me, that an example of that would be like your water filter. If you're bringing a mechanical filter, I always think it's still smart to bring one little backup chemical filter as like, If your mechanical system failed you, which is common with the fiber filters like the B-Free, they can freeze or they can get clogged. Like at least you haven't 
lost your opportunity to have a way to filter water and have clean water in the outdoors. So like Aquamira or, you know, um, potable aqua tablets as well. And then, um, yeah, so I, I definitely think it's aspiring to try to get into that lightweight range, maybe in between ultralight and lightweight base weight, if you can, but starting out, it's just mostly not super accessible. So we just talk about the items what you might start out with, what you might aspire to. So I kind of show them both. And it just depends on the financial opportunities the individual has to maybe upgrade that gear right away. But like, for instance, for me, I was super scrappy starting out. I definitely didn't have all of that optimal gear. And it's taken me even eight years to get to the point where my pack is like, I think my base weight now is around 17 and I could make it lighter if I wanted to, but now I value some creature comforts. So instead of like a down quilt, I still like my mummy bag and things like that. So um, we really just talk about your options and how you kind of build up to your ideal set with time. I can totally relate to that because I lived through the whole ultralight revolution yeah. And started out with, oh my gosh, the heaviest pack with every, I can remember one time I brought like a backcountry oven <laughs> to the backcountry <laughs> awesome. and I'm like making like a pizza back there. What? Right. And then yeah. I've gone all the way through the whole thing to where I was super minimalist and really light base weight, you know, in the nine pound range. And just this year I added a pillow and I'm like, am I defeated for adding a pillow, a (laughs) 2.5 ounce pillow to my pack? And I'm going to say, no, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm winning out here with, (laughs) with a pillow. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm actually not a big pillow person. I don't really care about pillow for some reason, because I usually just use my down, um, like jacket when I'm sleeping at night. But yeah, those creature comforts, you just have to value like what's super valuable for you. Some of our students who are older, they really like having a camp chair. So even Mm -hmm. though it's not the most ultralight thing to have with them, that just makes their experience more enjoyable. And that's ultimately like worth it for them. And they optimize in other places. Yeah. And you have to decide what you want to do out there, right? You have to decide, do I want to be comfortable in camp or comfortable hiking? So yeah, there's just different, like different and sometimes different trips have different goals too. So it's like, maybe you have a trip that you are planning to do a lot of miles really fast. And those trips, you might get your gear in a different way than a trip where you're like three nights in the back country. It's not a big deal. What is the one luxury item you have to bring with you? I don't know if I have a quote unquote luxury item. I will say that like, for the John Muir Trail, I did opt to bring um, some Zero sandals for camp. Um, that felt a little bit luxury to me because I don't actually usually do that. Um, but it's really nice at the end of the day to take my boots off and walk around camp with my toes free and breathing and not being barefoot. And then um, I also like to bring my Kindle sometimes. Uh, I really enjoy reading a lot on the trail. You could use your phone, but I do enjoy that like non-glare sort of feel and I can bring a lot of books. And um, so I definitely enjoy that. My, the thing I never leave the trail without is probably uh, 
the inReach Mini now, I really love having that and being able to message my loved ones. We started the day, ended the day, especially for longer trips. And um, what's been really awesome about that is especially as fires have gotten more like dangerous and frequent, you know, I always plan to have safety contact who's checking in on our fires daily and kind of touches base with me throughout trips and says, you know, something new has popped up or like things are looking good. And it's just another way to add the layer of safety to your overall trip. I, I, mean, I totally agree. It's just the peace of mind is a big weight off your shoulders to know that you can communicate with the outside world if something happens, you know, if really needed, you have that SOS button. Uh, what is your favorite breakfast food on the trail? Favorite breakfast food is I've you've had her on the podcast, Erin um, from Backcountry Foodie. I love her recipes. Um, yeah, they're amazing. I think <laughs> they're amazing. And so she kind of converted me. And I'm kind of a lazy breakfast person, actually. When I backpack, I don't like fussing with a lot of stoves and stuff when I'm getting started in the morning, especially if we have to wake up like Alpine start and get started really early. I just kind of want something quick. So I used to do bars, but now that I've learned about Aaron's cold soak recipes, I will usually create something that's a cold soak. So one of them is a banana nut crunch cereal, which is really good. And it has powdered milk and you just add water. And she also has like a banana nut Musili that is just adding water and then um she has like a dehydrated yogurt recipe which I was like mind blown about I didn't know dehydrated yogurt existed but that's also really good for breakfast yeah her her meals are really lightweight too she yes. kind of optimizes it for the weight and nutrition value and caloric density too as well so I think that's a really good option if you don't want to make your own meals you can look up backcountry foodie and uh, get some great ideas I think yeah. she'll even meal plan for you does your service offer um, some sort of meal planning no we talk about how to meal plan and how like you can think about like calories versus what you might need on the trail but we don't do meal planning but I'm pretty good friends with uh, Aaron now. Last year, actually, when we did the JMT, she did the meal planning for our trip um, because I was curious to test it out and tell our students like, hey, this option exists and did we like it and did we like the recipes? And it was all awesome. Um, that whole experience of working with Aaron, she made one for me and Michael. I think she made us three different rotations of meals. So every three days we would have the same thing. But for 22 days, it helped. The variety really helped um, because, you know, it, you just get tired of eating the same thing every single day on the trail. And they, like you mentioned, they're really lightweight, really like that option. Excellent. And I think people can find her at www.backcountryfoodie.com. So yep. if they're interested in checking it out. Allison, we didn't talk much about your personal life. Uh, maybe we could dive into that a little bit. You, sure. you told us that you're from Texas, yet I do not hear a single hint of an accent in there. Yes, I know. I'm from Houston, so it's kind of a melting pot, I guess. And nobody I grew up around really has that typical Texas accent. I will say y'all from time to time. Um, 
it's just a good word in general, more than you guys. I think y'all is just a little bit easier, rolls off the tongue. Um, yeah, but I grew up in Houston and I went to school for college in Austin, but yeah, never really got that strong accent. And you're an engineer, right? What kind of engineer are you? I was a geosystems engineer. That's what I studied in college because I think for me, I actually was going to be an architect. So my path into what I ended up doing was very like complicated because I wanted to be an architect and I applied for all these architectural schools in um, college in Texas. And I didn't get into the one I wanted to go to. I got into a and if, if you're familiar with Texas, like A&M and UT are the big schools. I didn't get into UT's architectural school, but I got into A&M's, but I wanted to go to UT more badly than I wanted to go to A&M. And so I went into UT and then ended up getting a lot of scholarships um, into the geosystems engineering program. And I kind of went with that. And for me, it was like very important to have financial independence getting started. I wanted to feel like I could make it on my own and I wouldn't have to ask for help. And then, you know, I moved to California and that's kind of when I transitioned. So I was an engineer for seven years and then got into the outdoors. This is now my full-time job. So um, as a backpacking educator, I've been doing it for now two and a half years full-time. Do you love it? Yes, it's awesome. It's an awesome job. And, you know, we get to live wherever we want, which is one of the things Michael and I really value. Um, We did travel in the van for a couple of years, which was always a dream. You know, when you get into the outdoors, you start seeing people with the van life stuff and you're very curious about it. And so we had been, you know, car camping in the back of our Jeep and sleeping in the back of that for so long that the van just felt like this luxury upgrade. And eventually uh, we saved up and got a van and then got to live in that and travel and work in wherever town or mountain town we found ourselves in. Um, And that was really awesome. And then now we're kind of like a mixture. We just spent six months in Puerto Rico because my um, husband is from Puerto Rico and he has lots of family there. So we spent six months there just being a little bit more stable and like having that stability for a while. And then now we're back here and going to travel again for a stint. What does your family think about your life now? When we first got started, they were like, that's not a real job. And what are you doing? And they were very (laughs) concerned with all of my life choices for a while. Um, I think now they're on board and they're mostly stoked about it. They still kind of sometimes say real job jokes, but you know, ultimately, (laughs) um, they're pretty, they're pretty happy for us. Thanks, Allison, for coming on the show. You can find all of Allison's trip reports on her website, shedreamsofalpine.com. Follow her on Instagram at shedreamsofalpine. While you're on there, give us a follow at Out and Back Podcast. And if you like our show, we'd love to see a review from you on Apple Podcasts. It really keeps us going. I'm Mary, along with Abby. Until next time on the Out and Back Podcast, presented by Gaia GPS.